whether we notice it or not, we're always in this rising and vanishing, this emergence, this disappearing. And whether we notice it or not, our speaking and our listening is happening in it, from it, to it. So it's a critical question when we ask, how do I speak in meditation? How do I listen in meditation? That we connect this sense of this rising and vanishing with the act of listening and of speaking. Because the uh, habit of speech is so powerful and the momentum of coming from building up a set of uh, thoughts or feelings that would be delivered and of receiving some delivered package is so much the norm that to penetrate that into really the the depth of what we might call truth, a quality of listening to that truth that really uh, receives it beyond our constructed frame, that really receives what's coming in rather than just entirely our projections around it. This is a big deal. This is a real practice. Perhaps I could encapsulate what I'm trying to say here with just this simple statement. Human beings evolved and survived and became the dominant force in the Earth ecosystem in no small part based on the power of language, our ability to cooperate, and so on. This power became so great because of the astonishing capacity of the brain-mind. That capacity, whether it's listening or it's speaking, because it's so great, facilitates use of language without our having to attend to it. 
to be mindful of it. We just can do it because evolutionarily we're so damn good at it. It's overlearned. It's invisible to us. It's invisible to you to receive what I'm saying. So the fact that we don't have to be mindful of it has yielded the fact that we are not mindful of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're so good at it, we don't pay attention. And because we don't pay attention, we get into a lot of trouble. And the force of habit of not paying attention to be broken in meditation is a big deal. I can speak now and you can say yes and you can go to meditate this afternoon and start speaking automatically. Or as I'm speaking now, you can be listening automatically or you can be on this edge. But it would be normal to sit back and yeah, I understand what he's saying. Right? So it's actually an incredible practice if we take it seriously. If we take it as speak the truth, listen deeply, say what's true, I can say what's true. I can really, really listen. I'll listen well. But we don't get that it's inviting us to the edge of the moment then we may really listen well in, a, in, the, in the way of the constructs and the identifications and this overlearned capacity for language and we kind of float along. Where's the meditation? And why does meditation matter? Because as long as we stay at that level, the whole trance is maintained. And if meditation is about seeing things as they actually are, and the disenchantment that really liberates, then somehow we'll have missed the boat that we thought we were on. So, you've asked me to repeat a sentence, and I'm speaking from emergence. So I would try to go back and retrieve from memory a sentence. And now I'm sort of wrestling with, how can I meet you? So what I'm doing is, touching into the truth of what I'm trying to say so I can say it now. And what I'll say now is that we're engaged together in this incredibly beautiful Um, investigation of how 
being together can be fully liberative, revealing, unfolding the capacity of the heart to, to rest in loving kindness and care and the natural brilliance of the mind. Nothing short of that. It's big words, but I really mean it. Our way of speaking and listening really matters because we're doing this together. If I were just meditating in silence and individually only, it wouldn't matter so much except as an ethical practice to make it, you know, the mind calm enough when I do sit. But now it's like, wow, this is the heart of, this is our practice. It includes this totally. How can we touch this moment together? And as long as we're coming from this place of overlearned engagement with language, that will be a distant hope. So we can still have good conversations, and they will matter, and they will help. They will help shift the concepts the constructions of the mind in a wholesome direction, as we talk about even impermanence, but certainly as we talk about the tenderness of this human heart. This is good. But to really break through the frame of ignorance, which is, you know, insight meditation can do, we need to work with our languaging uh, abilities, the speaking and the listening, in a way that uh, recognizes the enormity of the challenge of the habit and recognizes the potential. And that's easy to forget. So that's the best I can do. Yeah. So there's a question of how do we actually practice? How do we actually do this? And, um, you know, we learn to remember. And we wonder, well, what am I paying attention to as I'm speaking? And there's so many layers to attend to. And we usually start at the layer of, you know, what am I thinking now? And, um, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. And the mind is kind of, you know, tooling around with different thoughts and it finds one to say. Usually that part of the process is, is not mindful. We just, we know what we're going to say, you know, hand me this or do that or, you know, it's really good to see you again or get out of my face or something like that. All those different things we just say come, you know, and when we start to bring mindfulness to speech, we begin to be sensitive before we speak, which is necessary Uh, to do and only possible if there's that pause of mindfulness. 
So perhaps we get in at that level of, oh, at least I can watch this mind thinking. And this is really, really an important part. But we also want to get to the underneath because we, we want to know, deeply know, that language begins beneath language. Language is an overlay on experience, a conceptual overlay. So every single word we speak is actually describing something that has n- you know, no- nothing directly to do with words. It's a feeling. It's a perception of some sort. Language comes on top of that, you see? So even if I'm saying something like yellow, what's that? It gets a lot more confusing if I say frustration. What's that? Or if I say joy. Even if I say, here's a good conceptual rat's nest, meditation. What's that? Let's let's get even worse. Buddhism. It could go on forever, right? But the point is, under each one of these things, let alone something like you know, uh, cancer, or sex, or I name some private body part of yours or mine, and all the reaction. How can we hear? What are we actually saying? What are we pointing to? And this is our attempt now. We're using all these words as if we're, you know, really conveying reality And in fact, all those words are starting from somewhere, you know, unspoken, unlanguaged. So in meditation, can we touch beneath the languaging to be witnesses at that boundary of the unlanguaged and the languaging? And what we're witnesses at the boundary of is this emergence, this, wow. What is arising now? What would be spoken? So we're invited to a quality in the pause of uh, There's obviously a tr- like a curiosity, an investigation. What is happening now? What's true? What am I going to say? And the investigation goes throughout. It includes the conceptual, the mental. It includes the whole bodily and the emotional. And what's true now? 
And the fitting together of that with words is another thing that we are usually completely um, not present to. In my practice, I have never been able to completely parse out that translation of, you might say, suchness into language. I I'm, don't think it's possible, actually. And I think that there are certain pieces of it that are not only possible, but, you know, linguists and cognitive scientists are real interested in this question. They've got a few little mechanisms that are at work, you know, the ways we select words and this kind of thing. But somehow, there's some of this magic that's happening at the level of direct perception and language that's quite, it's like awesome, it's beautiful. It's, even in the simplest statement, you know, I really like you. I do like Mary. How can I say that? What is the experience of my saying that to you? You know, up comes this feeling. I just, I just look at this person and there's joy. And I say, I like you, you know, and the body smiles. Right? So I've put together this whole body experience in 10 years of history. And up comes this from before language. It had no language. It was just this feeling. And what was behind my saying it? This isn't going to surprise you. What's behind my saying it? Tension. Right? Why? In this case, I mean, if I say, you know, get off, get off my cushion. If I say something like that, there's tension because I think she's wrecking my cushion and I, I want to protect my cushion so it lasts 50 years and uh, all this kind of thing. So I, I'm really kind of upset about my cushion. We can say where tension comes from. But what's the tension? Why do I speak? I like you. I love you. Why do I speak? Because if I don't, something isn't moving, right? See what I'm saying? Still, it's still, it's, there's still a, a motivation, an urge. It's not just nothing. If it were just nothing, I wouldn't speak. See what I'm saying? So even the most beautiful, simple, wholesome speech begins in tension. Of course, it, beneath that, it begins in this felt experience. But I'm talking about now there's the urge to speak. That's where I'm starting. I'm not starting at just the feeling of love. But I want to speak it. If I don't speak it, uh, you know, I'm exaggerating. I'm like amplifying it. Uh, 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 I like you. I love you. And so it is with all speech. But what's interesting is from there, that emotional tension that is now longing to be relieved 
oh, sweetheart, that's such a nice pair of shoes. It looks good on you. Like the motivation is that this little girl can feel good about herself. The motive, the movement within me was for her well-being, her growth, you know. But what if I don't say that? Uh, uh, I want her to be happy. Uh, uh, (laughs) There's there's something that's coming up. Even if it flows very naturally, there's still, there has to be why. Because muscles are involved. You can't speak without muscular involvement, which means that the next movement is a movement of tension. There's muscular, actual muscular tension. The muscles involved starting at the in-breath to have air to speak. You don't have any air, you can't speak. So there's that. And now there's the you know, the diaphragm pushes the air up, and that's a mus- muscular thing. And the tighter those muscles, the, the, the harder the press, the louder the sound. Honey, that's, uh, those shoes are so nice. We have this expressiveness that comes up because of changes in muscular tension, pushing the air up. And the air comes up through the, you know, vocal folds, and now there's more muscular tension here. And that muscular tension is making it possible to speak. If there weren't muscular tension there, it would just be like this. You could whisper, but even that has some. So you could whisper, but even that has some tension in it. But now it's the tightening that makes these little things, these little flaps flap together and go, ah. That's what's going on. We're just shaping the ah. So there's that tone generator, like you, you've probably heard at some point Stephen Hawking. Right? Because he's got a little oscillator because he doesn't have the, uh, probably, I don't know exactly, probably the ability to control those muscles. So, you know, he has to have a tone that is generated. But we're doing it by tensing these muscles. And the tenser they are, the higher the pitch. And the looser they are, the lower the pitch. And that becomes part of how we express things. We have to express things somehow, because that's who we are. So it's a mirror, and it's a, a, um, like a, you know, a revealing. So these changes in pitch are directly connected with changes in tension, which are directly connected with changes of intention, where it's coming from. So you got the loudness that's doing that, you got this, and so this is all the body putting its stamp on the sound. And now, of course, all the shaping by the mouth and jaw incredible ballet of activity that, of course, we don't usually know or control. It's just happening. But it can be controlled. Controlled. You can do things with it. 
Not that you need to, but the point is that these are all like touch points for mindfulness. If you just notice what's happening, and you notice what's happening, and you notice what's happening at the throat, at the belly, the mind can be invited. It has these little doorways into the moment through the physicality. And quite beautifully now, this nuanced and shaped column of air, air presses air, presses air, presses air, and it shoots across space. And that those air pressures enter an orifice on the side of someone's head and vibrate something inside their skull. So with every breath, I'm vibrating your, your inner body, vibrating you, you know? The responsiveness is so intimate. We completely take it for granted. We just hear the words, get what we think the meaning is, but it's this intimate, intimate co-vibrating of my, my body parts and your body parts, my body parts and your body parts. That's astonishing to me. It's <laughs> At the last retreat I was on, the, this woman was like, after she had finished uh, some practice I gave, she said, raised her hand and said, Having verbal intercourse is more intimate than sexual intercourse. (laughs) Uh, But let's go to the other part of it. So you've got this incredible, you know, sensitive vibration of the tympanic membrane and going through the cochlea, you know, you've got some mechanical parts in between. And so now you're, you've, you know, transduced that energy to actually, when it goes to the cochlea, the, there's a, this spiral gizmo filled with liquid, and there's hairs floating in that liquid, kind of like kelp, you know? And when the liquid vibrates, <laughs> you know, so, some, something is said to me, and it goes and it moves all these body parts, and then there's this, oh, there's another wave coming in. And, and the, the roots of these hairs, the roots of these hairs are connected to nerves. So now it's being put into this electrochemical signal. It goes straight to the brain. It injects into the brain. And all of those movements of those hairs and all of that, you know, that creating that delicate little moving signal that goes to the brain is connected directly to the body of the speaker. Nothing's in between except all those little pressure changes. Right? So there's this, right now, moving across this big circle is this, you know, vibrating 
opportunity, vibrating opportunity for attention. And now, of course, it is decoded in the brain of the listener, which is not disconnected from the body of the listener. And all of those uh, uh, subtle cues are carried musically and linguistically, simultaneously. And so, well, it's carried through the language content, and it's also carried through the tone, the pitch, the loudness, the pauses, not to mention that I see you and I'm decoding in my, the way I've learned my entire life to try and read you. I'm reading your face. I'm reading your hands. You know, I'm taking all of that in, not just the sound, but the sound has all of this, these layers to it that we usually ignore. But just because we're ignoring them doesn't mean they're not affecting us profoundly because we are built to do this. Your brain is built to decode, to read the mind of the speaker, to know the heart of the speaker. This is how you've gained love and safety, understanding of the circumstance, to know what, can, what do I do next? What is this person saying? Come over here. Come over here. Come over here. Come over here. Right? We all know what those things mean, whether or not we can describe it. And it's all through the music. It's the same words every time. But we also know come, we know what that means, over, yeah, it's got the basic idea, here. Got the here part. But what about if we're getting to this more subtle stuff, like, um, uh, I want to talk to you, uh, I want to talk to you about love. I love you. And what does that mean? Do you think it means the same thing I think it means? And now we've got a real can of worms. <laughs> right? So how big do you want to get in this, in this investigation? Uh, and um, so all of these things are going on. And all of them can be, uh, the power can be casually invoked, or we can really, really meditate and really have it be uh, a potent force for not only mutual understanding, but pointing each other towards some kind of freedom. Requires some intentionality. As I said, the habits are strong. But the 
result of all of this is a quality of mind-to-mind contact, body-to-body contact. That's just really unmatched. It's unique. Not that there are not other forms of body-to-body and mind-to-mind contact, but that this form, in its unique way, very powerful. It was the transmission medium for the teachings of the Buddha, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Muhammad. the teachings of Aung San Suu Kyi. So much. So much wisdom, so much love. The teachings of Mother Teresa. But it's also, of course, if you will, the teachings of Hitler. And, you know, we could go on from there. It's powerful stuff. So we want to be smart about it, but we also want to apply it to uh, unbinding the heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.